Blog Talk Radio. has come to fruition. Um, All of Marty's blog talk radio programs now, including this one, will be on the following programs. Apple, Amazon, Podvine, Pandora, Stitcher, and Spotify. So great job, Marty and Kaz. Thanks for all you're doing to keep the people notified on what's going on with guardianship as well as with the hospice Tonight we've been having difficulties. I don't know if you heard that or not. Um, I hear it just unmuted me. We're trying to get our guest on now um, with us. Hold on one second. Marty, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay, yes. I just sent you the numbers for the two our two guests. Okay. 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 So... We have to continue to tell our truths and warn people to do homework and not trust anyone without verifying. Knowledge is power. This program centers around the fact that hospices now are euthanizing patients against their knowledge and their consent. They're being drugged into a coma, rendered helpless, and they die from starvation and dehydration. That's just premeditated murder, period. So tonight we have two guests who are sisters, Rose and Jennifer Simpson, who tried to protect their mom, Joanne Simpson, who was only 66 when she took her last breath on July the 13th, 2021. But before they tell their truth, I want to talk a bit about ALS, which Joanne was diagnosed with. ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, sometimes called Lou Gehrig's disease, is a rapidly progressing neurological disease. And the condition, they've got their name from Lou Gehrig, the famous baseball player who retired in 1939 due to ALS. ALS attacks the nerve cells called motor neurons that control voluntary muscles. When these cells die, voluntary muscle control and movement is lost. This leads to progressive weakness and disability. People living with ALS eventually lose their strength, their ability to move their arms, legs, and body, and the ability to breathe on their own. In most cases, their mind remains sharp and alert, that you'll hear tonight. The life expectancy is three to five years, and there are 5,000 new patients each year. Typically, it affects men more than it does women. So I just wanted to give you a brief overview about ALS as we talk more about this. So to say that ALS is debilitating is an understatement. So we understand that Joanne was sick, but here's the point. People get sick and they have diseases, 
But it doesn't mean we give up on them and over-medicate them to hasten their death. And if a caregiver doesn't feel they're up to continue task of taking care of a sick person, call for help. My husband and I took care of my dad the last four years of his life, and it wasn't easy. But I wasn't ever going to let anyone hurt him like hospice who had killed my mom. In the case of Joanne, she had three daughters who offered help, but she didn't want to upset her sisters and move in with one of the girls. Sadly, this decision to not hurt someone's feelings would cost her the rest of her life. No one will ever know how much time she had left to live. Everyone should have the right to decide how their last days, months, or years will be spent and not have things done to them against their wishes. As you will hear tonight from Rose and Jennifer, Joanne stated many times that she didn't want these drugs, specifically morphine and Ativan, that were making her groggy and feeling sick to her stomach. And unlike others in stories that we've talked about and and heard on this program, Joanne kept a journal where she wrote down her questions, thoughts, and concerns, and she was in contact with her children through text. This was her method of communication because she wasn't able to talk during this time with oxygen on the trilogy. So in her own handwriting, you will hear that Joanne was being managed by hospice and other family members against her wishes. Rose and Jennifer attempted to save her. Joanne hadn't given up on living, wasn't given the opportunity to control her own life. And I want to share, as I do each, each program, some resources for you before I continue. One of my favorite authors who tells the truth about hospice is Michelle Young-Dewers, who is a hospice respiratory therapist who exposed the inside of hospice with her book, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. It talks about hospice enrollment quotas, promises made but not kept, lies and omissions. Hospice doesn't want any of you to read this book. Stealth Euthanasia, Healthcare Tyranny, was written by Ron Panzer. He was a hospice nurse whistleblower, and it can be downloaded because he wants people to see the truth to protect their loved ones. Halovoice.org, another excellent resource with a life-affirming medical document you can use, as well as other important information. They have a helpline, which is 888-221-4256, if you have questions or concerns, or if you want to volunteer. Euthanasia Prevention Coalition is another excellent resource. There is a Facebook group called Murdered by Hospice, which has people there that have experienced the same thing and they are willing to listen, very compassionate group of people. LifeLegalDefenseFoundation.org has access to pro-life attorneys. Fulton J. Sheen said it best, the refusal to take sides on great moral issues is in itself a decision. It is a silent acquiescence to evil. The tragedy of our time is that those who still believe in honesty lack fire and conviction, while those who believe in dishonesty are full of passionate conviction. And you've often heard me talk about one-size-fits-all drugs and hospice, and tonight's story is a glaring case of this. Keep in mind that Joanne Simpson 
was five foot two inches and weighed about 100 pounds. But she was given the same amount of drugs that are given to all hospice patients, the same amount that would kill a six-foot, 200-pound man who was healthy. Joanne repeatedly stated she didn't want morphine and she was totally ignored. Rose and Jennifer had medical power of attorney that was also ignored. So in February of 2020, Joanne was told that she might have ALS, but it wasn't conclusive. In March of 2020, she went to ER for a broken wrist. And then in June 2020, she broke her hip, and she was hospitalized, received surgery, and a six-week rehabilitation. In November of 2020, it was confirmed that she did have ALS. This was confirmed by a doctor in the Mayo Clinic in Kentucky. In early 2021 timeframe, Joanne would be back in the hospital for chronic bronchitis and AFib. While she was in the hospital, she developed pneumonia. She had previously received the pneumonia vaccine and got pneumonia two weeks later. So she had at least three hospital visits in a year, which flagged her and made her a prime target for hospice. And she met their comorbidity qualifications now. My guests tonight are two sisters, Rose and Jennifer Simpson. First, I would like to say I am so sorry about your mom's passing, and I understand how hard this is to talk about it, but I'd appreciate you coming on to let other people know your mom's story in hopes of warning them about the dangers. So, Rose, I want to start by first saying home health care was in and out of the home and was talking to your mom. So I want you to tell us what happened when hospice was first mentioned. Well, my mother was, can you hear me? I can hear you. Mm-hmm. Okay. My mother was hospitalized several times in 2021 for bronchitis, chronic bronchitis, for pneumonia, and for atrial fibrillation, which is irregular heartbeat. and then in and out of the hospital, she had home health care that would be there waiting for her whenever she returned to her sister's house. Her sister was her primary caregiver, Sandy. So the last time she was in the hospital was about a week before hospice came out. And after being in the hospital for a week, of course, or the hospital for a while, of course she was weak. She wasn't eating as much. So the nurse had asked my mother about hospice. My mother said she would never go into hospice. She became very upset and said she won't ever go into hospice because she thinks that's just the end when they come. And this was annotated in medical records and the home health medical records. Then just a day later, a day or so later, the speech-language pathologist, Kate, asked my mother again if she wanted to go into hospice. And my mother said, or actually physically wrote on paper, I will think about it. So it went from my mother saying that she would never go into hospice because that will be the end if she would think about it. At this point, the speech-language pathologist, Kate, actually discharged my mother from home health care and called her primary care doctor for the referral to hospice. I know against my mother's will because there was nothing in the medical records to indicate that my mother ever said yes to hospice care. 
She never annotated anything in there that my mother said yes. So I felt like my mother was actually entered into hospice against her will. Plus, it was annotated in hospice and home health care records that my mother was not always in her right frame of mind. So if she's not in her right frame of mind, how does she sign herself up for hospice? She shouldn't have been signed up for hospice to start with. So I feel like our mother was bullied. And even if she did sign for herself to enter hospice, was she in her right frame of mind at that point? We don't know. We also felt like this was outside the scope of the work for a speech-language pathologist to recommend our mother for hospice um, because this should have been something that a nurse should have done. The nurse hadn't been there for a few days to, to actually access or examine our mother. So we really felt like there should have been a medical provider there, somebody to actually give her the okay for hospice. But there was nobody else there except for the speech-language pathologist. It should be a doctor. Well, the doctor, the doctor was called. Is the one, right, but the doctor is the one that should have, she contacted the medical doctor, but he should have seen her and assessed her to determine if she met the qualifications and she should have been given the opportunity to yay or nay, and clearly she was not. No, they called her primary care doctor, who was somewhat familiar with her health, doesn't mean that she was ever um, should have been enrolled in hospice because she was never given six months or less to live at that point. There was nothing indicated in medical records and any medical records that I saw that said that she had six months or less to live until this very point, this, this one point after she gets out of the hospital and they're trying to bully her into hospice. And there's just so much here to, to tell, Marcia. There's so much to tell. Um, our mother was really not only bullied in hospice, but these drugs were forced upon her numerous times. Her caregiver, Sandy, actually signed at least five times for these hospice visits where several times these drugs uh, were added or morphine was increased without our knowledge, without, without her knowledge. And point... You know, we thought that everything was fine. You know, our mother was in hospice. We thought that's what she wanted. But there was a lot of things that were going on behind closed doors that we knew nothing about. So when they started giving her the morphine, um, they didn't tell you, but they are dealing with her caregiver when if she's not in her right frame of mind, if they're saying that, um, and at some point they were talking to the caregivers. However, you and and Jennifer had medical power of attorney. Yes, we Is had medical correct? power of attorney. Okay. This was actually discussed on the then? very first hospice visit, yes. Okay. So it was you discussed were there. on the very first hospice visit. Okay. And so were you and Jennifer there both with the hospice visit? We were there for a lot of the hospice visits, not every right. one, but I was there for the first two. And the very first one, my sister Jennifer and I were there, and my sister Haley, she lives in Colorado. She was there as well. So all three of my mother's daughters were there, and I do have that conversation recorded. Mm-hmm. And it was told to Nurse Julia, the hospice nurse, who my mother's power of attorney was for over her medical care, that it was, was me and my sister Jennifer, 
And my mom's sister, who was her caregiver, Sandy, shook her head no. And we had to let the nurse know, yes, my mother did a will in February of 2020. And she made my sister, Jennifer, and I her primary, I'm sorry, her uh, power of attorney over her medical. And this is what she wanted. And we asked, where is the will? Because we had actually given them a copy of the will, my mother and my aunt. My aunt Sandy goes in her bedroom and pulls out the will and hands it to me. And I physically read the power of attorney section where my sister Jennifer and I are the medical power of attorney or my mother's health care when she's incapacitated to the nurse. And this is on the recording. I did not give her a physical copy then because that's the only copy we had. However, I did give her a copy at a later date on June 10th, less than two weeks later, and I have proof of that via text. So they had a copy of the medical power of attorney, but caregiver Sandy and Nurse Julia and even, and even her caregiver Barbara ignored all of that. Um, another day, this, the social worker came that was with hospice just a few days later, and he's asking who the medical power of attorney is over mom's health care, and Sandy, her caregiver, says she doesn't know who it is. And she is actually corrected by my sister Haley and my son who say, I believe it's Rose and Jennifer or her medical power of attorneys. And Sandy, you know, just denied it. I feel like she didn't want to believe it. And, you know, of course, the social worker said, can you just give us a copy of it when you can? So, you know, it was told to at least two people who work with hospice who her medical powers of attorney were, but they ignored it. Okay, so when they started, um, they left a comfort kit at the the home. Is that right? They left, like, what she called baby doses of morphine, what the nurse called it, the very okay. first day. Okay, baby doses. But they had a PRN for that as well as giving it to her as they saw fit or as her caregivers saw fit. Well, the very first day, this is what's really, you know, shocking. We were shocked by because we thought that, that the morphine, the whole time she was in hospice, was considered PRN or as needed. We later found out there was a scheduled dose added on the second day of hospice care. The very first day that hospice came in, Nurse Julia, you know, was trying to talk my mother into taking the morphine. But my mother had this known morphine allergy for years. It was documented in her medical records. She told everybody she was allergic to morphine. She refused to take it. Well, Nurse Julia talked my mother into it by telling her that it would help with her breathing. She was going to give it as baby doses. It would be considered PRN or as needed. Uh, she could take it when she wanted. It would never be forced upon her. And even her sister, Barbara, who was her part-time caregiver, had a conversation with the nurse. I have this recorded where Barbara is concerned that the morphine is going to be forced upon my mother. And Barbara relays the story about a patient or somebody she knew where morphine was being forced upon this person. And she wanted to make sure this did not happen to my mother. Well, Nurse Julia reassured all of us that this would not happen to our mother, that she would never be given morphine against her will, it would never be forced upon her. It would be considered PRN baby doses. But by the second day, another nurse comes in and actually adds a scheduled dose. 
of morphine that we knew nothing about. I was at that second visit. I didn't hear anybody mention anything about adding a scheduled dose of morphine. So it's like they, the nurse Julia tricked my mother into taking this morphine, and they slowly raised it over the 22 visits that she had with hospice. And during this time, they also were adding something else, right? Oh, yes. They added lorazepam or Ativan. Mm-hmm. They added buspirone for pain. And, you know, like you said before, my mother was only about 100 pounds and 5'2". Right. So why would you have to add all of these drugs? And most of the time they were added, my mother was in very little pain, if no pain, had no respiratory issues, or if she did have some discomfort, I felt like these issues could have been handled with maybe other drugs, maybe some ibuprofen or something that was, um, you know, probably better for her, considering she has breathing issues. And they all have the same type effects. And that's the, um, they added the 15 milligrams of uh, buspirone for anxiety and pain. And they increased the morphine from 1.5 milligrams to 2.5 milligrams every hour. Mm-hmm. So they were, and all of these had the same type effects, dizziness, headache, nausea, nervousness, confusion, excitement, depression. It can depress the breathing. Yes, morphine can help with breathing, but not when you're given that repetitive and you increase the dose, plus you're given Ativan with it. And when you mix all that together, you're not trying to help that patient breathe. Mm-hmm. Now, no, um, definitely, definitely not. Jennifer, I want to give you an, op- an opportunity to jump in if you would like. Um, on June the 10th, a chaplain comes to the house. Um, would one of you tell me what the chaplain conversation he has with your mom? Yeah, this is Rose. I'll tell you about that because I was physically there. Okay. And my sister Haley from Col- that lives in Colorado was there. Okay. We were actually, you know, sitting around talking with my mother when the chaplain just shows up unannounced. My mother didn't even want the chaplain services. But this lady shows up unannounced. Her name is Lisa. She comes in. She's asking my mother how she's doing. She asked my mother if she would like to get off the trilogy. Is she tired of the trilogy? Which the trilogy is an external ventilator. It's a mask that goes over her face and it helps her breathe. And she was wearing it all day at this point. Of course, my mother said she was tired of it. Who wouldn't be tired of it? So Chaplain Lisa proceeded to tell my mother and all of us, the three of us, that she had a male friend, an older man who was on um, hospice care, also on an external ventilator. He was tired of it. He decided he didn't want to live any longer. He allowed hospice to uh, put him on several drugs where he was unconscious, and they took him off the ventilator, and he passed away peacefully, which to me is assisted suicide. And she asked my mother if this was something she'd be interested in, and my mother shook her head no. I just looked at her face like she could not believe this woman's asking her this. Mm-hmm. We were all shocked. We were, Haley and I were crying. Haley had to go outside and, and sit outside because she was so upset about it, didn't want to hear about it. Um, 
My mother even texted me later because normally I'll record conversations, but I didn't even record that one because she just came up out of the blue and didn't expect her, and I totally forgot to record it, but I wish I would have. So I didn't have it recorded, but I have a text with my mother, and she was basically saying that she could not believe that this woman was saying that. This is not something she would ever be interested in. And I know for a fact she would never be interested in assisted suicide because she's a Christian woman, and she believed if she committed suicide that she was not going to heaven. Uh, so this was an absolute no for her. We were just shocked that they were actually trying to get rid of her less than two weeks after she entered hospice. Mm-hmm. So she started, that was the 10th, and then on the 24th, um, you said they have increased the medicines again for her and that she's kind of slowed down on eating. But she Yeah, but it's the 24th, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that she's not eating as much, but there are times when they kind of make it sound like it's worse than it is. However, you and Jennifer were bringing her food, you know, from different places, and she Mm -hmm. was eating it and writing down, you know, that tastes good and sending text messages. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they hospice. Nurses, there's there's like two different nurses that came out. The main nurse was Nurse Julia. She would annotate things in the medical records that was untrue to make my mother seem worse than what she was or more dire, to first qualify her for hospice, but second to make it seem like her, her, um, her health was declining to the point to where, you know, of course she died of natural causes, which was not true. Um, many times she was saying that our mother was not eating as much or she was eating, you know, like bite sizes of food when we were bringing her food from various restaurants such as Wendy's, you know, Lee's Famous Recipe. I remember one time bringing her a whole Wendy's single and she ate almost the whole thing in one sitting. It might take her a little bit to eat it, you know, with her swallowing issues, but she ate it. Um, we brought her like soup. And all kinds of different things that, you know, nothing really indicated to us that our mother really wasn't eating much. Some days she would eat more than, than other days. Mm-hmm. But you had mentioned 624, uh, June 24th, 2021 was like the turning point where her health started to decline because Nurse Julia actually put into increased two doses of morphine. The scheduled dose and the PRN dose was doubled. And then they added the abuse pyrone. Uh, for pain and anxiety. So these these um, drugs were added, apparently, when my mother must have been incapacitated, unconscious, because her caregiver, Sandy, is the one who signed for this visit. So my mother didn't even know that these drugs were being added, and we didn't know about it. Mm. And she's talking in her journal, she talks about I didn't like what you gave me. I didn't like that drug. What did you give me? And mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about what she's saying in her journal at this time? Um, yes, I will yes, uh, is, turn that uh, over to Jennifer. Okay. Yes, this is Jennifer. Um, I would like to talk about some of those journal entries. Uh, it starts on June 24, 2021. And one of the things she says that's really like hits you like a ton of bricks She says, the more morphine I take, 
the weaker I get. If I go to bed, I'll give up. That's what hospice wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And we had no clue that she was writing this stuff, so she wasn't writing it to us. She's obviously writing it to one of her sisters, her caregivers, either Barbara or Sandy. And this was on the 24th of June. She also goes on to say, what was in the meds you gave me? I can't stay awake. And that was on about June 27th. And then she goes on to say, something made me sleepy. And then on about June 27th, she goes on to say, I don't know what's made me so sick. So she, again, she's not realizing all the medications that they're giving her. I can keep well, going she, on if you like. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because okay, this, is July, very, this is very yes. telling because this is in her words because it's her way of communicating. And yes. it points out that she is talking to her caregiver. She's writing everything down. And you guys did not see this until after she was gone. And you're looking back on that. Your mom was asking, stop doing what you're doing to me. Yes, yes, she definitely was saying that. Um, So on July 4th, she's talking about feelings and emotions, and she's saying off days, that she's having some off days. And then on July 2nd, she's saying, I'm feeling a little better today. So she died on the 13th. This is July 2nd. She's saying a little, feeling a little better today. She's saying that she wants to eat because she put eat in all caps. And then she also wrote food. So she's definitely saying she's hungry, although they would try to say that she had no appetite, that she had no desire to eat. On July 9th, she said, I feel tired like I've been up for days. I was awake all night. And then she goes on to say, I feel like I have been drugged. It didn't do anything for me last night. And it says, you ain't kin to Sandy. That's her sister. So she's kind of saying something uh, bad about her sister. You ain't kin to Sandy. She said, the older she gets, the worse she gets. And then she goes on to say, I learned the hard lessons after my mom passed away. So we don't really know what that means, but she's definitely not happy with her caregiver. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, she also she, and, yeah. wrote in there about the pain patch, because I'm reading what you, what you sent me, the same thing on 7-9 about the pain patch. Well, I'm at the point where she says, you just gave me all my meds. What else could you give me? So she knows she's being given more stuff than... She's agreeing to. Mm-hmm. And then well, she, she goes said, on to say, I've been awake all night. I've slept only about two hours. I feel dizzy, tired. And then she says, I don't know why I feel so bad. I was tired. I was awake most of the night. That was July 9th. So she says that a few times, I've been awake most of the night. So if the morphine is supposed to be helping her sleep, it's certainly not doing its job. No. Uh, She said, and this is, uh, I'm reading, you know, what I had taken from what you guys sent me. It says, I took the pain patch off. I couldn't breathe. Now, she's talking about fentanyl, which we haven't mentioned that yet. But they also put this. Five foot two, one hundred pound lady 
on a yes. fentanyl patch in addition to the morphine, the Ativan, and the um, Buspirone. So they've added all of this together on a lady that weighs 100 pounds. Yes. And she has taken, she had enough sense. I took the pain patch off. I couldn't breathe. I feel like I've been drugged. It didn't do anything for me. Short of breath, dizzy, head, heartache, high, sick to my stomach, no sleep. My eyes are bothering me. I'm hungry. I was here. I felt strange. I feel hot and cold. I have felt strange for a while now. I have been seeing things good and bad, which is the hallucinations these drugs were given her. These are in her own words. And it, it, reading your mom's story, and when you sent yes. me the journal entries, just broke my heart. I mean, this is not well, a woman Marcia, who was ready to go. No, she wasn't. Oh. Marsha, this is Rose. Um, my sister, Jennifer, and I, we've spent almost 400 hours each looking at our mother's medical records, texts, and journals. So we spent almost 800 hours total between the two of us looking at this, this stuff. And our mother, in the hospice medical records, actually refused morphine and other drugs at least nine out of the 22 times, not including the fentanyl patch. So 10 times out of 22 visits, our mother was refusing hospice comfort meds. So Mm -hmm. even though she was refusing them, the caregiver is still giving it to her. The nurse is coming in and having to educate, which she put in the the, uh, medical records numerous times, she's having to educate the caregiver and my mother on being compliant and taking these medications as prescribed. So basically forcing it upon my mother. Exactly. Exactly. And those are in the medical records. I want everybody to understand that. This is what the nurse is writing in the medical records. Patient refused fentanyl patch. As she stated, it made her feel lightheaded and short of air. Patient had eight doses of morphine in the past 24 hours, educated patient on adhering to plan of care and not refusing pain medications. Wow. I mean, that, that's in, that is in the medical records. The nurse, to me, it is so apparent that your mom was trying to she was letting them know, I don't want you to do this to me. I do not comply. I do not consent to this. And they did it anyway. They yes. did it anyway. I just, I mean, it just it, it just gives me chills because this is in, I, I don't like using this word, but it is. this is in a dead woman's writing. This yes. is so clear yes. to me that she did not approve of what was being done to her, and her own blood was helping. And I'm also, sorry. in her journal, just on uh, July 9th, four days before she died, she asked my sister Rose, can you help me with my eyebrows? My mother was big on having her eyebrows plucked. 
She said, can you help me with my eyebrows this week? So four days before she died, she asked this. So we don't, we know she didn't know she was dying. No. I mean, why does a woman who's dying care about what her eyebrows looks like? Because they're taking her life from her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yes. what they're doing. And, you know, as I stated earlier, ALS is debilitating. But nobody has the right to decide that it's your time to die. Mm-hmm. And your mom could have lived weeks, months, years, ALS, three to five years. They don't know, and nobody has the right to take that away mm-hmm. from you. Yes. And and they did. Uh, Marsha, yeah, this is Rose. Um, and you're right about that because our mother always said she wanted to die when God was ready for her. Even mm-hmm. though she might have been miserable with that that trilogy on, she might have been miserable sitting in that chair day in and day out. She wanted to go when God wanted her. That's what she believed. That's what she wanted. And hospice and her caregiver, Sandy and Barbara, took that from her. And they, they did. took matters into their own hands and gave her these medications and, and murdered. I, I feel like they murdered her. Um, our mother, I know, wanted to be around to at least October or later because she had a grandson that was being born. It was her second grandson being born, and she was so excited about it. And my mother said she wanted to be around that, be around for that. The hospice nurse, Julia, said, oh, you will be there in spirit. And my mother was so upset about that. Like, my mother physically wanted to be here for the birth of her grandchild. And, of course, they took that away from her her, as well. And the nurse is telling her, you'll be dead. Yes, basically. You'll be there in spirit, trying to say it nicely. Mm -hmm. And the look on my mother's face was just, she was very upset about it. Well, they didn't have the right. This is not, and this is what I keep saying to people, hospice is not, I go decide that I want to end my life for whatever reason that I'm sick or I'm depressed or, you know, that I've got cancer. It doesn't matter what the reason. She did not go to somebody and say, I want to die. I want to end my life. Just, you know, take me out. She was willing to live with the issues that she had. And if a caregiver is not prepared, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not. But a caregiver, if they're not prepared to continue taking care of her, you and Jennifer had offered to let her move in with yes. you. Yes, yes. Um, probably the final weeks of her life we had offered. We knew my mother was not happy with her care, but she was not going to say anything because she did not want to rock the boat. She did not want to upset anybody. Um, she knew if she came with us that that would upset Sandy and Barbara. We had offered, but my mother, she was the kind of woman, she did not want to rock the boat. She didn't want to upset anybody, and she definitely tried to do all she could to avoid confrontation. And she knew there would be some kind of confrontation if she decided to come home with us. So she decided to stay and to to tough it out, I guess hoping maybe things would get better, which it didn't. No. No, it just continued to get worse. And didn't they at one time say that she wasn't capable of communicating? Well, that's what they said with hospice. There was five different times they had her caregiver and her sister Sandy sign for her hospice care, well, several times increasing morphine or adding medications when she was 
I guess incapacitated. Three times they they actually said it was due to dexterity issues, and two times there were no reason given. My mother was always on Facebook. She was always texting. She was writing in her journals. She didn't have dexterity issues unless she was unconscious from comfort meds or what they want to call comfort meds. I don't call them comfort meds. No. No, I don't either. I call them toxic drugs, which is what they are, to put somebody in a coma. Mm-hmm. Or death meds. Right, right. And I think at one point she had told them that she only wanted twice a week because she was doing better and she didn't wasn't in any pain. But they ignored that too. Yeah, my mother, you know, she really didn't want hospice coming out. She would have been just fine on home health care. But, of course, home health care will only come out for a certain time period. Then they will actually uh, discharge you to your uh, primary care provider. But my mother would have been fine just, you know, seeing her primary care provider as needed because the only difference between home health care and hospice was the fact that she was receiving morphine. And she did not need or want the morphine. The other drugs she could have gotten elsewhere from another doctor. So um, my mother in the beginning told them hospice that she only wanted them to come out twice a week. They wanted to come out every day, and they were there, you know, probably at least 30 minutes to an hour a day. She's trying to visit with family. She's trying to live her life, and they're wanting to come out every day, and she didn't want it. And at first, you know, they, they kept coming out and coming out. There were times where they didn't come out as much, but, you know, they continue to come out as much as they wanted. And I wonder why it was, well, I mean, I know why it was kind of rhetorical, but when she said, I don't want the morphine, why would you just not give it to her? Why would you force it on her if you did not have any bad intention? Why give it to someone who says, I don't want it, I don't need it, I'm not in pain? I know the Mm -hmm. answer to it. But it's uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a rhetorical question. I mean, that's definitely a rhetorical question. But they were giving it to her to kill her. It was not for comfort. They were not there to make my mother comfortable in her final hours or days. They were there to kill her. And they're making they're making money off this. They're mm-hmm. making this a business where they make money off people doing this, and it's. It's just it's great, Marcia, that you're getting the word out there that this is what hospice is doing these days. And right. Rose, you didn't mention the one day that our aunt, my mom's caregiver Sandy, actually spilled a half bottle or more of morphine, which we believe she was giving it to our mom and saying she spilled it. So you think it was she she was actually using more and that yes. would indicate that, you know, that's why more of it had been used yes. because it was spilled. I see. Yes, we believe she was being given way more than we were ever knowledgeable of because she had the morphine schedule written down on a piece of paper. But when we started to look at it, she became very angry and she moved it to her bedroom and would not allow us to see it anymore. And what? so that caused some arguments. Well, sure. Uh, well, I imagine mm-hmm. that you're not really in contact much with your aunts since you've lost yes. your mom, right? Yes. Oh, no, we're not, no. So 
you know, I'll just say, uh, to me, I don't understand the motive if you don't want to take care of her, if it's too much of a burden, which maybe it was, um, then then let her go live with one of her daughters. I mean, what would the harm be unless you want to be the one that says, oh, I took care of her in her final days, it was me, you know, look what a wonderful job I did in taking care of my sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would be the reason? Yeah. And if you're giving someone, if she did indeed give her too much morphine over that period of time, then that makes me think of Munchausen by proxy syndrome because why would you want to make someone sicker in in a worse condition so that you could make yourself feel like, you know, you're doing a wonderful thing for someone? That's yeah, I, um, I, I really think that's part of it. I think this is Rose. I think Sandy wanted to think or have people think that she was a martyr, but here she was doing this great thing for her sister when her, her daughters wouldn't step up to do it, but she's the one who offered to do it. We thought that she was more than capable. We never thought in a million years that she would do something like this to our mother because they seemed so close. And, you know, she considers herself a Christian woman, which a true Christian, I would think, wouldn't do something like that. You know, definitely wouldn't participate in murder. So I feel like she's definitely, Sandy's definitely not who she says she is. She hides behind this fake facade, and she's a, she's a very evil person. And she did whatever she could to try to keep my sister Jennifer and I away from my mother so she could have complete control of her health care. That's just sad. That's sad. Now, in her text messages, um, there was one particularly that, that also caught my attention that she texted Haley. Um, you're probably not looking at what I'm looking at, but um, when she talked about sleeping until 9.30 in the morning, do you, Yes. Jennifer, do you see that one? Um, no, I'm, I'm not remembering that one, but there's a lot of text. Okay, well, she states in this one, um, I slept until 9.30 this morning, but I woke up a lot, dreams. I fell asleep this afternoon. I think it's the medicine I'm on. This has been a very stressful, busy week. I haven't felt good at all. Strange things have been happening to me. I'm not sure if it's God trying to get my attention. I had visions, images, seeing things. And then she wrote to Rose, I woke up at 9.30, still sleepy, got cleaned up 8, wrote about a dream I had, and took a two-hour nap. So she's she's texting right and left yes. two people. So she's not... I mean, so let's say that she wants to live the rest of her life doing Facebook and texting. And why can't she do that? She would have been happy yeah. doing that. She loved Facebook for sure. And right. because she was having hallucinations, they put her on haloperidol also. So she's having the hallucinations. Instead of cutting back on the medication, they have to give her medication that helps with the hallucinations. That's a schizophrenic drug. Yeah. It's absolutely for, crazy. It's insane. That's for bipolar people, people with schizophrenia. Why would you give somebody Halperidol? And she weighs and 100 she's pounds. And nausea and stomach issues, and they give her Zofran every so many hours a day. 
every every four hours as needed instead of cutting back on the medication that's causing the nausea and stomach issues. And it caused, obviously, um, constipation because morphine does that, and she's mm-hmm. not getting up and moving around. She's not able to eat a lot, you know, only what you guys are bringing to her because was were the caregivers feeding her? Or were they just saying she's not eating? Well, I mean, our mother was able to feed herself, but the caregiver, Sandy, was the one that was preparing her food. And, you know, our mother might not have eaten as much as we would eat in a day, but she was still eating. Some days more than others. She would eat breakfast. She might eat something small for lunch, and she would eat dinner. Sometimes she would eat, you know, food that we would bring her. But, Panera you know, bread. She, I know she was eating more that was annotated in medical records. Hmm. Yeah, she said at one point um, that, I guess, Rose, you you took her uh, broccoli and cheese from Panera Bread, and she said, thanks for the broccoli and cheese and bread soup. It was delicious. Love you. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, she ate just about everything we brought out. She did have a little difficulty sometimes eating bread because she had difficulty swallowing with the ALS. But if the food was cut up really fine, she could cut up really fine, or she'd take little small bites. You know, she could eat, you know, like foods we ate as long as she took her time. So it may take mm-hmm. her a little bit longer. Right. But, I mean, somebody may I – I remember somebody made the comment that my mother was actually eating more than they ate. And, uh, you know, couldn't imagine that mom never could gain any weight. This is while she was – you know, in Sandy's care, her sister's care, that, man, she's still eating a lot. I don't even eat that much in a day. So other people are noticing as well in the family that she was still eating well. Right. It just, it wasn't her time, and they just made sure that it was. No. So no. on July the 8th is when it looks like they added the fentanyl. And that is after Joanne had said once again no to morphine and her caregiver signed authority for them to add the fentanyl. Mm -hmm. That's what I don't understand. The patient is still refusing medication at times is what Nurse Julia put in the medical records um, for July 8th. But then she calls the doctor and has a 25 microgram fentanyl patch added to her plan of care. The patient right. is refusing medication. Now you're going to add a fentanyl patch, which is like, I don't even know, is it 200 times more potent than morphine? 100. I know my mother didn't know it was a fentanyl patch. Right. They probably told her it was like a like a pain patch, like some kind of lidocaine or something that would, you know, that will help your right. hip. Um, they didn't tell her what it was because I know my mother, she knew what fentanyl was, and she definitely would have refused that since mm-hmm. she was refusing the morphine. Um. So why would you add a fentanyl patch to her plan of care when she's refusing morphine? And she did this. She refused the morphine numerous times. Right, exactly. Um, it's just, well, it's and just on crazy. This day, she, um, the nurse put in her records, patient lying in hospital bed with no signs or symptoms of pain or distress. Patient yep. refused fentanyl patch, as she stated, it made her feel lightheaded, short of air. Patient had eight doses of morphine in the past 24 hours. Yes. Some additional And all she stated in there, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, she has terminal restlessness and sleepless at night. Patient is 
pale, frail, and has um, their, the nail beds and the, the bilateral feet are starting to turn blue. This was on 7-8, and then she passed yes. on 7-13. So, um, I mean, the said, only uh, symptoms that she was having was complaints of soreness and discomfort in her coccyx because she had like a small... I would say kind of like a bruise, maybe you might call it a, a bed sore or something like that mm-hmm. on her mm-hmm. butt, on her butt. But besides that, I mean, she didn't have a whole lot of pain, it looks like, on this day. Whatever pain she was having, it seems like it was pretty mild. Well, they say it she wasn't been... having any symptoms of pain. Yeah. I mean, they say that well, in... Well, it just in... says complaints of soreness and discomfort or coccyx. And then it says she had generalized pain all over. But then it's saying she didn't really have any other signs or symptoms. So it's kind of like there's there's a lot of contradictions in the medical records. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they put them there to make them sound, mm-hmm. like you said, that she's in a dire condition. But when you mm-hmm. go back and, you know, analyze all of these records and what the patient said and what they wrote down, you see a clear picture of a lady who is refusing the medication, and why is that not her right to do so? Mm-hmm. Why is it not her right? On the 11th, the doctor comes in and doubles the morphine. On July 11th? Mm-hmm. So somebody tell me yeah, about this... what happened on July well, 11th. Well, I would, I would like to say this is Jennifer. The doctor has never assessed our mother and physically come out and seen our mother the whole entire time she's in hospice. It's Mm -hmm. neither her primary care provider nor the director of hospice. Yet they're able to go on what the nurse is saying and prescribe medications and increase medications, which I don't even know how that's illegal. Not once have they ever seen her during this whole time. And most of the time, even during the home health care, she was not seen by a doctor. No, because the nurse is making the, all the decisions and the recommendations. Yes. Right. And they're not even skilled to do so. They're, they're, not not even, even, they're not even licensed to do so. And they're lying. They're lying. And they're not listening to the patient. Absolutely. The patient has the right to refuse the drugs. Absolutely. It, it, to me, it's outright murder. She yes. said no. Yes. You know, do not hold me down, do not give this to me, and they continue to do it. Why? Because they had a caregiver who did not have medical power of attorney that they knew, they knew did not have, and they continued to say, okay, we, we, we've, got, we've got one person here that's saying it's okay. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Yes. So they increased the, the, the morphine from 0.50 to one mm-hmm. milliliter at the nurse's yes. direction. Even yes. though she has refused taking the morphine, doesn't want it, so they double it. And they give her fentanyl yes. on top of Halperidol yes. and Ativan. I mean, to the audience who's listening, for God's sakes, does anybody think that the medication that they're giving her is not being given to end her life prematurely? I mean, any naysayers 
out there, any people that think that we're doing a conspiracy theory, theory on this, can you really say that the drugs that were, she was being given and doubled after she said she did not want them is not indicative that their intent was to hasten her death? And what right do they have? And this doesn't include medications that were giving her for her heart and other medications that could be having an adverse effect or a negative effect with these pain meds. Well, they may have taken her off of a lot of those. So, I mean, I mean, as far as I know, she was still on a lot of the heart meds every day. Yeah, she was still on a lot of the heart meds for the atrial fibrillation. Um, so, yeah, there could be some... Um, contraindications between these drugs. I mean, who who knows? I think in the medical records at one point it did indicate that there was a contraindication between two of the drugs, but it's really up to the doctor whether he wants to continue to prescribe those two drugs together. You know, does the, does, you know, what the drug do, does, what the drug is supposed to do, does that kind of outweigh the risk of taking the drug? So well, I don't know if that was ever even discussed with my mother. Well, no, and and they don't care. You know, if you're going to give somebody arsenic, let's just say it, if you're going to give somebody arsenic, do you really care that drinking a cup of coffee with sugar in it and arsenic together will make somebody sick? I mean, do you really care? No. They're they're meeting their purpose. That's their goal. You know, when you Mm -hmm. say, are the goals met, well, yes. In this, the goals are met. And so this was from May the 28th of hospice coming in. And in spite of her trying to, and and you guys asking the caregivers, you know, mom seems really groggy. What did she get? You know, she's telling me that, you know, she didn't feel good last night, that she had dreams. You know, I think she, because you said, point blank, I saw Rose and Jennifer, I think, where you both said, to one of the caregivers, I think mom's getting too much morphine and Ativan. And they said, no, yes. it's her condition. Yes. Yes. Um, I had actually texted my mother's part-time caregiver, Barbara, who is also a nurse. I don't know if we mentioned that or not. She's been a nurse for over 30 years. And I texted her on July 10th. And I specifically asked her, this is the actual text. I said, I know my mom must be on higher doses of Ativan Ativan and morphine because last couple of days she is sleeping more and not responding to my text. And she responded, I don't think it's higher doses. I think she has a scheduled dose. She's had a lot of pain since she slept in that chair for so long. Her bottom and back haven't been killing her. And I said, she's... I responded, she's more out of it and sleeping more, ignoring my text, which she doesn't do. And then my Aunt Barbara responded, I know she's had a a couple of rough nights with not sleeping because of her pain, so I'm sure she's exhausted. So here it is two days, excuse me, three days before she died. My aunt, who was her part-time caregiver and a nurse, she's the one that picks up her prescriptions at the store. She's the one that's helping care for her half the time. She knows my mother's receiving, just tells us that it's not because of increases of medication. It's because she hasn't been sleeping much. And she's been, you know, in that chair for so long, her, her bottom was hurting her. 
you know, so it was just, you it was just a pack of laws. Right. You're, so you would quit pack asking about the morphine. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and for what purpose? Because she was too much trouble? Like yeah, we were never under. Reason. I'm sorry. We were never under any impression that her medication was ever increased or medication was ever added. Because anytime we would ask, including my sister Haley, we were kind of shot down and told, "No, she's just tired for the day." Even the day before she died, the day that I got to see her. I was told that she hadn't slept well the night before and that she was just tired. So I only spent about an hour with her before she died because I kind of felt guilty that I was keeping her awake when she should have been sleeping. If I had known that she was going to die, I would have stayed the whole day with her. Exactly. But they lied to us. And they you lied would have called your sisters. Yes. Yes. Right. But they didn't want us to be there. They didn't want us to know. Yes, so, so they, they denied us, this is Rose, you know, they actually denied us the chance to be with her, our mother in her final days. Um, yes. On July 11th, you know, it's annotated in medical records that caregiver Sandy was told by Nurse Julia of an unexpected status change in my mother's health, that basically she didn't have very much longer to live. This was never relayed to us. I mean, we were told, yeah, she may have six months or longer to live, but sometimes she was doing better than others. We never thought that she was going to be dying when she died. Nobody ever told us of this unexpected status change, that her health was deteriorating, which her health was deteriorating because of the medication, not because of the progression of her disease. Right. And so I felt like the hospice nurse, Julia, hospice in general, and her two caregivers, Sandy and Barbara, they, they robbed us of our, you know, this, I'm sorry. They robbed us of a time we should have had with our mother in her final days. And I feel really bad that we couldn't have been there with her. I really, truly hope that she knows that we wanted to be there because we did. She knows that all of you loved her, that all three, the texts that she sent back and forth to you girls, she knows that you loved her and she loved all three of you. I mean, your mother was, from Thank everything you. I've seen, she's a tender-hearted, generous woman. She stayed Thank with you. her sisters because she didn't want to rock the boat. She agreed to hospice because she didn't want to rock the boat. She tried to be strong and say no to the morphine, but they pushed it on her. But mm-hmm. your mom knew you loved her and that you would have been there for her Thank you. and that you were there for her. Thank you. So don't, don't you, please do not blame yourself for this. You, all three of you ladies, did everything you could to try to protect her. You were working against hospice, a big conglomerate who is wonderfully trained how to manipulate. And unfortunately, your mom's sisters didn't value her life like the, her daughters did. Mm-hmm. It, you were fighting an uphill yeah. battle. You, yes. you know, mm-hmm. you kept telling them, "We have medical power of attorney. If she can't answer questions for herself, we'll answer them." You know, you were going mm-hmm. over there. You were taking her food. You were trying to get them to stop giving her the drugs, but you were lied to yes. all along. So you can't blame yourself for this. Mm-hmm. But you know what? What they also do is. My mother was of right mind when they needed her to be, but she wasn't of right mind when they didn't need her to be. 
So there's times where he should have been signing for her medical care that, you know, we're not certain if she was of right mind, but there's other times we know she was of right mind. They would lie about it. I hope I, I hope I said that, you know, where you understand what I'm saying. There's many times we know she was of right mind. They try to say she wasn't. Okay, gotcha. And there were several times where she was not of right mind, where they're trying to say she was because they would justify the increases in medication. So, Well, with the medication that she was taking, when you say of her right mind, the medication yes. was calling confusion, dizziness. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, causing all of those together, and, you know, she was probably drowsy in and out of sleep. You know, she yes. wasn't able to think rationally a lot of that time so what they're doing with the drugs is they were preventing her from thinking clearly so they can make all the decisions for her what they would do also is they would give her her caregiver would give her morphine lorazepam right before the nurse would come out so my mom could not even communicate with the hospice nurse so my aunt would have to end up signing for her and she could sign anything which yes, she did. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, she did. She and, approved and doubling of any... the morphine, adding right. that fentanyl patch. Right. We had no clue. And that, that fentanyl patch, I just don't understand. I do understand. But that is for, you know, somebody's pain and they have chronic pain and you give it to them and it's taken off in, in 72 hours. But... They can start it with 12.5 micrograms, and it's in micrograms because how strong it is. But they start her out with 25 patch. And if Mm -hmm. your mom, (coughs) excuse me, if your mom was opioid naive and had never taken strong, toxic opioid-type drugs, she didn't need all of this. She, She didn't need any of this in my opinion, and that is mm-hmm. what no. hospice does. They come in, they give you a one-size-fits-all, and if you're not dying quick enough, they do what they did to your precious mom, and they double the medication. Mm-hmm. And they very add quickly. stuff to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it very is, quickly. It is sinister to do that. And how they can do yes. it. You know, Marty and I have discussed this, how somebody can do that day in and day out, wake up the next morning and go back, have absolutely no consciousness of what they did. And to add in a blood relative who can do that and feel no guilt for prematurely ending their sister's life is beyond my comprehension. It just is. Yeah, so, it's, it's definitely beyond my comprehension, too. Um, this is Rose. Um, you had talked about 7-11, July 11, 2021. This was two days before she died, and it was her final hospice visit. It mm-hmm. says our mother was lying awake in hospice on arrival. But if she was awake, why didn't she sign for the hospice visit? They put down she had dexterity issues, which she did not, and her caregiver, Sandy, signed for her. But you said they had increased the morphine. They increased the morphine, the scheduled dose, from 0.50 milliliters to one milliliter every four hours, not including she could have the PRN morphine, which was 0.25 milliliters every hour. 
so without my mother's knowledge and consent, they're doubling the scheduled dose of morphine two days before she died and allowing her caregiver to sign for it. Okay, so let's let's play devil's advocate for just a few minutes because, I, you know, as I'm listening to this, my, you know, gears are turning in my head. <clears throat> if in a situation like this, looking back on it now, what would you have done differently? Knowing what you know, what would you have done differently? What could you have done differently? <clears throat> well, this is Rose. I don't know what we could have done differently, honestly. I mean, we asked all the right questions. We were there mm-hmm. for most of the hospice visits, not everyone. Um, we were not her primary caregiver, so we weren't there all the time. You know, we had lives, we had things that we were doing as well, so we couldn't be there for every visit. Um, I think I would probably would have asked more questions and try to get more answers as to what was going on. Uh, I wouldn't have been so trusting. You know, of course, mm-hmm. I trusted her caregivers because they were her sisters. And it's not like they were some, some caregivers in a nursing home that we didn't know. You know, we, we, we honestly trusted her two sisters. Right. Never thought in a million years that they would ever do something like this to our mother. So, you know, you get the full picture going through her text, her, um, her, text, her journals, and her um, medical records. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's very upsetting. Well, but even I during understand. this time, really she was, Well, even during this time, I mean, she was paying her own bills. You know, she was writing checks out. She still wrote checks, and then you know we would go and pay the bills for her. So, who who can take care of their finances when you're supposed to be in your final hours? We right. didn't. We had any. We didn't have any clue. We thought, okay, hospice says she's got six months, but we were all like. Very positive, saying that only God knows when she's going to die. And so when we would say stuff like that, we could tell they didn't like it. So I think you have to ask more questions. You may need to get the medical records early on and look at what they're saying in the medical records. And that, yes. that's, you know, that's part of my point, that when you look back, when you entered this and all of this was happening, you kind of feel shell-shocked. And yes. you can't believe this is happening. And like you said, you thought you trusted her sisters would no, do no harm to her. And you absolutely have no clue. And you're probably sleep-deprived. You're stressed. You're worried about her. You're seeing her decline. And you feel totally helpless to do anything. So I, I guess with me, because I, mean, I watched it with my mom, too, and I was you know, right there in the room with her you know, 24-7, it happens yeah. right in front of you, and you know something is wrong, but you can't really put your finger on it. So when I look back just at my mom's situation, she was in a facility, the hospice wing, the death wing, we call it, in Perry, Georgia. And I look at that now, and I say, what I tried to do is move her to the hospital. And they said, oh, if you move her and they hydrate her, she will have fluid around her heart, and she will die of drowning, and it will be a horrible, painful death. And you don't want that for her, do you, sweetie? And they act swarmy and like they really care, and they don't. So when I look back on my mom's, I say, if I had to, I would call an ambulance. I would wheel my mother's thing. I would have, 
you know, they'd have to throw me in jail, whatever. I would have moved my mother out of there physically if I had to, knowing what I know today. The problem is, is you didn't know then, and I didn't know then what I now know. So mm-hmm. my thing is that twenty twenty, yes. I would never allow anybody to be in hospice. That is God's honest truth. I will never trust hospice for myself. My father died here at our home upstairs in his bed without hospice, and I would never let them in my sphere. And, you know, they may be at one time they were good, but at this time they are not. They murder people, and I would never let them in my sphere under any circumstances. It's all about profit, definitely. But mm-hmm. it, I mean, I would really get a look at those medical records while they're still alive and see what's being done what and getting. what's being said because it's eye opening. It is. It is. And to the listeners, getting medical records while they are in this situation, you have every right. Have medical power of attorney yes. and get the medical records, and you can see what they are giving them because they don't. You know, in this case, the caregivers were compliant and just allowed them to give Do your own research. Look up and see what these drugs do mm-hmm. and see what the combination yes. of them do. See what the um, amount of drugs that they're giving them, you know, the yes. um, milliliters or the milligrams or you know, micrograms, whatever it is, and do your own research. I've got a neighbor down the street who had – uh, breast cancer they gave her radiology she now her lungs are shot because they killed her lungs and it's called um oh i'll think of it in a minute i can't think what they called it but she's on she sent me a list she's been in and out of the hospital and i worry about them calling hospice in and i have been just terribly blunt with her that they will kill you you cannot yes. go into hospice and she sent me a list of all the drugs that she's taken, and there's some in there that they give warnings about taking that get some really, really bad side effects. She had yes. absolutely no clue. You have to look at your medications, whether yes. they are for blood pressure or insulin or sleeping, anti-anxiety. And, and they will yourself. try to prevent you from getting that information because, trust me, it took us a while to get all of the medical records that we requested. They'll give you little bits and pieces and make you think you've gotten them all when you know you haven't. And you have to be persistent. And you have yes. to be uh, – yes. sometimes you Very just persistent. have to be a bitch about it and, and just mm-hmm. be – Absolutely. You know, just pound them. I, I need this. No, you're not going to – no, I need this. Why can't I have this? By law, and no, you're, you're required to give that. You're required to give well, those, and we're allowed, allowed to have, have those. Yes. Well, this is Rose, and talking about, you know, not receiving proper care, there were several numerous days of my mother's hospice care that they had a section in the medical records that was called Goals Not Met. And they were between 17 and 25 Goals Not Met on several days prior to her death. And these goals were big, big goals. If they were not met, my mother was not receiving the proper care from hospice nor her her two caregivers. And if she was not receiving the proper care, she should have been moved to another facility. We should have been told about it. And to where she could have received the proper care that she needed. Well, that, and we'd have to talk to Michelle about that. But the goals not met a lot of time is, you know, is the patient, um, 
able to swallow. That's a goal. No, it's not met. Is the patient sleeping well? No, that's a goal not met. So there, that's kind of I don't really trust those things from hospice when they talk about goals not being met. I, I don't trust that. So no, but well, some of these major were goals. like some of these were like you weren't able to utilize PRN medications. Um, you weren't able to. Um, it says does not use prescribed medications properly. Does not understand over-the-counter medications and how they may act interact with prescriptions. Uh, does not administer medications. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read this off the list here. Does not receive safe administration of, of medications. Does not understand medication schedule and medication dispensing. So, yeah, but she's talking about the patient, the caregiver. The, pa- it says the patient. It says the patient and the caregiver a lot of times. So it's well, saying the patient, the caregiver does not understand medications and how to use them properly. Right, but that, okay, so if that's the goal, what she's saying is, let's go back to what Rose said earlier, educated mm-hmm. educated caregiver and patient on the need to take your pain medication as prescribed. That's what they're mm-hmm. talking about. So yeah. that goal not met, I would love it if all of it said on mine, if I was their patient, which I'm not ever going to be, but it would say every single goal would be not met because I'm not going to understand or comprehend or go along with anything they say. So when they were trying to convince your mom to take the morphine, yes. it's the goal was not met because she wasn't being compliant. Hmm. So, Yeah, that, I mean, it's saying she does not understand when to utilize the as-needed medications. Yeah, because she doesn't so want the pain medication. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to take it. No. And no. this is just four days before she died. It's it's horrendous your story, because your mom was so trusting and such a sweet lady, and she didn't want to upset the apple cart. She wanted everybody to get along, and it cost her in the long run, and yes. it cost you, daughters, the three of you. Because you lost your mom. She was 66 years old. 66. She had grandchildren that she will never be able to meet. And she's taken. I mean, that to me is so wrong. And I hope the two sisters one day regret their part in this. You know, maybe they will suffer the same consequences one day. That might be justice, you know, karma. Well, her one sister, more recently, Sandy, supposedly had a heart attack. Um, out of nowhere, she was healthy. It wasn't anything that they ever thought she had a problem with. We kind of think that maybe it's where it worn her down, the fact that mm-hmm. she did her mom so poorly. But who knows? One could hope that she realizes that. What she did was wrong. I don't know. Yes. Sometimes, pe- you know, people like that don't because they're narcissistic, and it's all about me and how what a wonderful sister I was and how I really took care of her. So. Mhm. But so, what do you do That's from true. here? Are you um, your plans from this point? Are you planning on 
Did you complain to the head of the hospice facility, uh, the director, medical director, or? Well, this is Rose. We've actually filed numerous complaints with numerous agencies, and we still have a couple pending. But most of the complaints have come back with no wrongdoing, of course. Mm-hmm. Doctors' boards, nursing boards, because they're going to support their own. Mm-hmm. Nobody Speech, wants uh, to believe that somebody that has, yeah, that, that somebody that has six months or less to live was murdered because they didn't have much longer to live anyway, so it's okay just to drug them up on, on uh, morphine and other drugs and if, until they die early. And snuff um, them out, right. So, so well, we're just we waiting also, for a couple more of the complaints to come back. We also try to find an attorney, but the fact that a person has six months or less to live, they don't want to handle that. They feel like they were going to die anyway, so why does it matter? And it's it's bull because only God knows when a person's going to die. And we really truly believe our mother could have lived for years had she been given the ability to do so. Mhm, mhm. And it was her right to do that. So um, yeah. we're out of time, and I so appreciate both of you coming on and telling your Thank story. You. And again, I'm Thank very you. very sorry. You know what happened to your mom? It was wrong, and it was murder. And it's, it was, it's very absolutely. tragic. So I'm, Thank I'm you so, so much for having us. Okay, you're quite welcome. I'm, I'm glad you. we have this forum that Marty's put out here for us. So um, to our guest, we are back next Wednesday with another heartbreaking story. So good night, Rose and Jennifer. Thank you good so night. much. Good night. Thank you. I'll, I'll be in contact you. with you. All right, good night to everybody else. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night.